Join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just uh, are always overwhelmed when we seriously contemplate the fact that you are the one that saves us all. That this is not on us, that this is a journey that you began and that you will complete through us and in us the good work that you have begun. And Lord, I thank you for the way that you have begun to work in our church and in our lives and uh, teaching us to be more neighborly, not just neighborly in the happy, friendly sort of way, that too, but neighborly in the way of Jesus, being neighborly like you said to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Lord, I, I just pray that you would be um, helping us take it in today. Already we've, we've sensed your spirit falling on people in worship, and we've sensed your spirit falling on our team that went to another place and was was uh, neighborly to them, and they're thanking us for sending them. But Lord, thank you for bringing them to us and leading us into being more uh, neighborly in the way of Jesus here in this place. And I thank you for the community that's being built, and it was built in those vans, and that's being built because of that here now, even today. So Lord, as we open your word to try and discover more and more about what it means to listen to you first and to each other, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds and make it possible for us to grow in that, that it would happen here right now. That if there's anything that the one who teaches says that you don't want us to remember, that you just strike it from our memory and our hearts, but that you would take the truth of your word today and help it change our lives and fall on us again. We thank you for your presence and the power of your spirit in our lives. And it's to you we will give praise and point when people ask why. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Well, we're talking about listening with care today. We've been in the series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? We talked about being a good Samaritan. We talked about starting with prayer. We're only to step two, and that is listen with care. And I'm just going to start off by dropping this quote on you. It's by a guy named Nicholas Carr. And Nicholas Carr wrote a book that's got a really cool title back in 2011 that people are still talking about. It's a book that says this, The, uh, the Shallows what the internet is doing to our brains. Here, here's what it says. Never has there been a medium, like, or medium that, like the net, has been programmed so widely, to widely scatter our attention and to do so, so insistently. When we go online, we enter an environment that promotes cursory reading, hurried and distracted thinking, and superficial learning. There appears little time for listening. Isn't that true? I mean, we know it's true. I mean, but let's come clean here. Truth in advertising, there are good things about the internet. I found that quote in a Google search because I didn't read the book. Connectivity, you know, that's a good thing. That, you know, connecting with your family. I mean, how many of us forget that it is only in the last decade or so that we've been able to know that we can get hold of family members like that? unless they leave their phone on the counter on the way out the door, right? And we forget that that wasn't normal before. On the other hand, there's bad stuff. For example, the clarity or the scatteredness, as he says, the clarity of the internet, the clarity of the messages. When was the last time you got a text message and you're reading it and you go, I really hope either autocorrect changed that or they were in a hurry because otherwise they're really ticked at me right now, right? I had that experience just on Friday. 
You know, because when you, when you let the, the net, when you let the device do the thinking for you, okay, because we're, we're not all the way there. We're not all the way to artificial intelligence, but it's coming in about 10 years. That'll be the next moral problem we have to face. But for now, we're not there. But we can sort of let our devices do the thinking, like on autocorrect. And, and I have recently, speaking of bashing the internet, I've gotten back on Twitter, okay? And here's why. Let me give you my apologetic for it. Um, I'm back on Twitter because uh, I'm trying to stay connected with friends that don't live here from around the country and, and people who are, are leaders in other places and people who are pastors and teachers and so forth that I, I interact with anyway. And so I, I'm doing it on Twitter because they're online. And I had a really close friend uh, um, who told me uh, just about a month ago, he says, I said, how do you read so much? What do you know? How do you know what to read and not waste your time on stuff? He says, I get on Twitter and I follow the guys that, you know, are friends and that are, are reading the articles I want to read, and I, I find out what they're reading, and then I do that. I said, oh, okay, so I'm going to do that. So that's what I do. And on Friday, I got a, a tweet from, or everybody got a tweet, from uh, Kevin Palau, who's the son of Luis Palau, the evangelist, and his, son, his two sons, Andrew and, and Kevin, are in Bogota, and Andrew's doing these mass evangelism things, and thousands of people are coming to Christ. It's really cool. And uh, Kevin, uh, whom I know, I've met him, uh, you know, probably five times and had short conversations with him over the last uh, 15, 20 years, and, and he uh, is one of these guys where he makes you feel like you're his best friend when you're talking to him, even though he's just acquaintances with you, and, you know, he knows my name and whatnot. So, Anyway, he tweets this tweet, and I'm so excited for him, I want to tweet back. And the tweet is this, we went into the prisons here to Bogota today, and 70 people came to Christ. And five of them were baptized right there in the prison right at that moment. Wasn't that cool? I mean, that was really cool. So I, I got excited, and I tweeted back, thank you, Lord, for these brothers, insist, or these new brothers in Christ, because it was a men's prison, and thank you for these faithful servants who are willing to go there and share the good news. Because I, I was just excited for, for Kevin, my friend. Except autocorrect changed faithful servants to faithful serpents. <laughs> and I thought it was like text. It's, oh my gosh, you can't pull it back. It goes to thousands of people because Kevin's got hundreds at least, probably thousands of people following him. It went all over the planet. Took me about, 20 or, nah, about 120 seconds to figure out, oh, if you push this one button, it says delete tweet. Oh, yes. So I deleted it. First thing I do, I tried to color, cover the situation and say, I meant servants, but that looks stupid. So anyway, anyway, thank God that Twitter has an off switch. So, but you know, the, the reality is, is that's just an example of how it causes our problem that we're talking about today to be worse because we, we have always since Adam and Eve had a hearing problem and a listening problem. That's part of the fall of sin. We can't hear from God the way we would have before that, and we can't hear each other as a result of that before that. I mean, regardless of the good tech, bad tech, you know, the way people do social interaction today in this postmodern world, uh, the way, you know, political correctness rise up, all the, besides all of that, just boiling it down to the simplicity of it, all of those things just simply exacerbate a problem that preexisted our time and our age, and that is... We have, a, we have a listening problem. We have a, we have a hearing problem. Something's messed up with our, our ears in the metaphorical sense. And the reality is, is that, you know, it, we look at that and we go, man, God, it would be great. It would be so great if you just told us how we could hear better. And the reality is he did. 
Jesus did an entire parable on it. In fact, it's the gateway parable to the other parables. In fact, it's the gateway to how to understand the Word of God. And it's the parable of what's typically called the sowers, or the sower, or the, it's more accurately called the parable, I think, of the soils, because it has to do with us and our receptivity of God's Word. So turn with me, if you've got your Bible, or it's okay, having said what I said, to use your device in this church. Just turn off the ringer. To Mark chapter 4, and uh, we're going we're gonna, to... Um, look at the first 20 verses or so of Mark chapter 4. And as we, as we come up to this, this parable, it's, it's just so amazing and so enlightening, and Mark gives so much uh, helpful detail. Um, let me just give you the context real, th- real quick, one two, one, two, three. What has just happened before Jesus does this, because it influences how you kind of hear this and read this. Jesus is healed on the Sabbath, and he got in trouble for it. His family shows up a little while later, and they call him out of his mind and try to take him away as in his brothers and sisters. I don't think his mom was in on this. Who knows what she thought of the whole thing? Mary. We're not told, but the brothers and sisters show up and try to take him away. You're out of your mind, okay? And then shortly thereafter, right in that same incident, the, the, the religious leaders show up and call him Beelzebub, which is their word for the devil. And so he's not connecting. He, people aren't hearing what he's saying. He's not, and so Jesus never wastes a situation like this. He does what he did last week. He takes everybody down to the seashore, the Sea of Galilee, the lake shore, and he gets in a boat and he begins to teach them. But he's teaching them on the very thing, on how to, wor- how to hear what he's saying, how to hear from God the Word of God. And as a result, what we wind up seeing is not only how to hear from God, but it teaches us how to hear and listen to each other in the end. Okay, so let's, let's dive in. I mean, some very promising stuff here. We've got some things to get through first. I'm going to read through the parable itself straight through, and then we don't have to embarrass ourselves like the, the uh, disciples did by asking what it means, because he explains what it means, and we'll just act like we already knew it. Here we go. Verse 1, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, and the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it on the lake, just like last week. While all the people were along the shore uh, at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. And in teaching, in his teaching, he said, listen, that's what we're trying to do today. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell along the rocky places where it did not have soil and it sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up and the plants were scorched, they withered and became and had no root because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. People are standing around, what? He's talking about farming. He's not a farmer. He's a carpenter. What's going on? But what Jesus is saying here is two things as we we read into this a little bit. He's saying, first of all, he's saying, look, I want to teach you how to listen to God, how to hear what God is saying. And secondly, as you do that, I want to teach you to be better neighbors that by the way you live in living, by the way you listen, by the way you hear others, family, friends, relatives, uh, acquaintances, co-workers, by the way you hear that, them, you will in fact be spreading, spreading and sharing the good news. 
You'll be spreading the, the, the kingdom of God, the, the good news of the kingdom of God, then, because you've got this multiplicity that happens at the end of the story, right? And then Jesus says two things, one thing to the crowd and everybody, and one thing to his disciples that were gathered around him. Verse 9, then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This was a common phrase of rabbis, but in Jesus' terms, what he's saying is, is if you have ears and you have the ability to hear me, I want you to hear me. But he might be implying that only some people do. In fact, he might be implying that most people don't, that are standing around him, have the ears to hear. So he's sort of given a, a, a point to his disciples or his people that are already following him. But then he turns to them a little later, verse 10, when he was alone, when, they, when he was alone, the 12 and the others, there are other disciples besides the 12, around him, asked him about the parables. So that the 12 men, and then there's women, and there's all kinds of other people uh, interacting around here, his followers. Here's what he told them. He told them, verse 11, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now, I just want to focus on two words in there. First of all, he who has ears to hear. What does the word to hear mean? And secondly, what does the word secret mean? The word to hear is the Greek word akuo, which we get the word acoustic from, which it means that your ears work, that you hear, that you listen, that all of that. But it also means something internally. It means that you deeply, intently listen. It means that you listen in such a way that you conform to what the teaching is that's being said. In other words, you, you listen with the intent to obey what is being said. That's actually what this word means. That's what Jesus is saying when he, when he uses this term. It, it's very similar, interestingly enough, to something Jesus' brother, who was among these people in chapter 3 that came to Jesus and said, ah, you're out of your mind, and tried to take him away. He had a half-brother by the name of James. And James became a Christian after the resurrection. I mean, if your brother's saying that he's the Messiah... What would it take for you to believe he is the Messiah? A resurrection would work. And he becomes a leader in the first century in the, in the Jerusalem church. And then he writes a book in the New Testament. In the first chapter of that book, he says the word of God is like a mirror. If you look at it intently and make some changes, that's great. But if you look at it and just quickly and then you just walk away and don't make any changes, you forget about it, but the rest of us don't. Or no, you know, you forget about it, but nothing changes about you, and it, there's, it's pointless to even look in the mirror. And that's exactly what Jesus is, is saying in terms of this hearing, you know, hear deeply, hear intentionally. Let, let, let it go deep into your life. And secondly, he says there's a secret to the kingdom of God. This word secret is the Greek word mystery. It's a, it's a mystery. In other words, it's something we don't have that if we're going to understand God, if we're going to hear from God, we need to be given something. We need to be transformed in a way so that we can receive that something. In other words, Jesus is saying, you need something more than what you've got as just a human being apart from God. You need something more given to you by my Spirit. You need something more that will transform you so that when I give you my revelation, which changes everything, you'll be able to receive it. Because it's a mystery. It doesn't fit with your normal human rationale. It doesn't fit with the way things normally are for you. So you need something different to help you see what is, what is different. Okay? So, so that, that's what he's, he's basically saying. He's saying you need external help to get what I'm saying. Because he's beginning to realize these guys 
don't get what he's saying, even his own disciples. In fact, to this point, he, he tells the disciples what's going on out there with the people that aren't getting his message by quoting a passage from Isaiah. Look what he says. He says right in the middle of verse 11, but to those who are on the outside, that is people who are outside of following me, everything is said in parables. To them, everything sounds like a story like this that, what, what's that? I don't get that. And here's why. So that, and he quotes Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 6, so that they may be ever seeing and never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now you go, Jesus, what are you trying to hide it from people for? Why does God want to do this? Well, first of all, this quote is from this passage in Isaiah chapter 6 where, where Isaiah is sort of taken up in this vision into the throne room of God, and God says, I need a messenger to take my message to the people. And Isaiah says, pick me, pick me. Oh, wait, no, but I'm a man of unclean lips. And so they, they purify his lips with the coal, remember that? And, and you read it, it's a, it's a stunning, stunning story, stunning passage. But then God gives Isaiah this mission to deliver this message that, you know, here's the message, but I don't want them to ever see, I don't want them to perceive it and so forth. And you think, that's kind of rude. But what, Je- what Jesus is saying and what God is saying here is really a mercy. The reason for Jesus using the parables this way is saying, if you try to receive what I'm saying to you without the work of the Spirit in your life so that you can understand it, if you, if you just, it, it, if you, just uh, you know, dump the truth on somebody and expect them to understand it, they have no capacity to understand it. And Jesus is saying, I don't want that to happen because it's very good chance that you might look at it and then walk away from it, that, you, that it won't go deep. And I don't want that to happen for you. So I'm going to tell these parables so the people that are already following me who have been given the Spirit, to be able to understand what I'm saying. We'll be able to pick it up and let it go deep, but the other people won't sort of get inoculated to the gospel and then never look at it again, you see? That's what he's doing. It's really a severe mercy in this sense. And that's the purpose of the parables. Because we all need help. We all need this outside source to understand what God is telling us. It's no wonder we have a hard time with all the distractions of the life and the internet and whatever else we've got. All of that's going to take over unless there's some outside help to help us understand what God is trying to say to us. And this, this affects why we're such lousy listeners. Now, listen, pun intended, listen. I'm with you. I'm a lousy listener. We're all lousy listeners. We all have to grow into this, okay? It, it's, it's, it's not something that you just simply turn on. I was, I was struck by a commercial I saw on TV recently that illustrates what normally happens in many, many families, including all of our families, mine included, many, many times in this day and age in which we live. And it has to do with listening. And I just want to show it to you here. It's 30 seconds long. I want to see if you can find yourself in this commercial like I did. Here we go. What do you guys want to watch? Ice hockey. Skiing. Okay. Show me curling. It's a lot harder than it looks. Curling. Most misunderstood sport. What do you guys want for dinner? Mexican. Burgers. Indian. Italian it is. Yeah. What? Great Italian choice. Is good. Italian. Live stream every second on every screen with Xfinity. That's funny. But it's also frightening, right? I mean, first of all, curling is a more difficult sport than it looks. I've done it. Oh, but anyway. 
But really, do you catch the irony of this? This is a cable company trying to give something to our families that will essentially take their communication and blow it apart. Who would do a commercial like that? I think the person should be fired. I hope they're not in this room. But, it, you know, that's just crazy, right? But it, what it illustrates is the fact is, you know, all of us are in that boat. We need some outside help, and we don't need any more trouble and any more difficulty listening because, you know, whether it's live stream on every st- screen or whatever it is, we already have all kinds of distractions. So Jesus apparently recognizes this in his own disciples, and he begins to explain the parable to them before they have to really beg him to do so. Look, look what he, he says in verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand the parable? In other words, he expected them to get it. The family doesn't get it. The Romans don't get it. The religious leaders don't get it. He hoped and expected his disciples who had been with him a while to get it. How then will you understand any parable? So you see, this is the parable that's the gateway to the Word of God. It's the gateway to all the parables. Look at this, though. The farmer, who is God, sows the Word. The seed isn't just a literal seed. It is the Word of God that God sows into the soil of lives and into our hearts. And they, you know how they would sow the seed in those days, they just scatter it around, and that's how the seed got, got on the ground. But what the seed represents is the Word of God, and what Jesus is putting his finger on is, is that we don't just have a listening problem. We have another problem in terms of our worldview, in terms of our, our uh, philosophy, if you will, of what we believe, and, and here's a big word coming, we have an epistemological problem. Epistemology is the study of, that's what an ology is, it's the study of knowing. It's the study of how do we know anything? How do we decipher, for example, the difference between our expectations and our opinions and something we know for certain to be true? We have no apparatus for that by ourselves. That's one of the things that that sin and fallenness uh, of of, uh, creation has taken away from us. We have no way to discern what is true, capital T, and what is, uh, uh, you know, true on a my opinion basis. It's true that you hold the opinion, but does it really affect everybody and anything else? And it begins to set us off. And when God, when God puts His Word in us, then the Scriptures are very clear that they are given to us by God, so that we can hear from God and hear what's really true and what's really real about us, about the universe, about our friends, about our family, about him, most of all, so that we can know what's really real. Now, God could have done this any way, couldn't he? He could have done it any way he wanted. He could have spoken from the sky every morning. Okay, the word for you today is. But he didn't. He put it in his written word. Do you ever wonder why? It's because there, it's where we spend some time. This is why we're, we're, we, we, we encourage you to spend time in, in, in this, where you pause long enough to consider. You know, what does this mean for me? And you let it go a little deeper, okay? It, it's, 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 it's a new way of learning how to know what's really real. Know, a new way of knowing, if you will. And the, the Bible, for example, says, the fear of the Lord, the, the awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament, really, especially Proverbs, knowledge comes from, from worshiping the Lord. In the New Testament, it's, it makes it clear, especially in the writings of Paul, that you need this outside point of reference. Uh, we, we all do. 
Human beings need that outside point of reference in order to understand who we are and what's really real and what's, what's true and where this all goes, okay? And, and that's why Jesus says, I want you to understand that the farmer is the one that sows the, the word. That's why God did it the way that he did it. And now he's going to begin to describe, not the farmer, but the soils that receive this word, this seed that comes. And the first one is kind of scary. Here it goes, verse 15. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the birds are Satan. I knew it. I've seen Hitchcock's show. All that poop in my deck. Anyway, no, that, actually, Satan is just illustra- the birds are just an illustration of Satan that, that comes and takes it away. But that's even scarier when you think about it that Satan is able to take this away. Do you know what the word take away means? It means to destroy, or it can also mean to actually take somebody's life. When, the, when Satan takes away the word, when he takes away the seed, he's taking a life. Certainly a spiritual life, but in the long term, he's taking a life if that person never receives it again. Think about that. That's, that's the scary part of this, that he is... The Satan's work is always destructive. In our, our, our parlance, in our world today, you, another way to say it is he's always deconstructing human beings by stealing the word, making us less than we are, reducing us down to protoplasm and impulses that a lot of people think we are. I mean, he, 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 when he deconstructs us uh, in this world, what he's trying to do is he's trying to harm and do destruction to the apple of God's eye, creator God, God's favorite part of his creation, which is you and me, human beings, and anyone you lay eyes on. And he's trying to, he's, he's trying to tear that down. And the really, really spine-tingling thing of what Jesus is saying here is when he comes down, swoops down, takes that seed away, we have no clue that he's done it. We have no clue that we're missing anything. That's the problem with the Word of God, or that's the problem that the New Testament says with regard to our lack of receptivity to the Word of God. He's saying, you know, that's the scary impulse, that people who are living outside of, of God and His Word are people who have no clue that there's anything wrong. Paul makes this clear, that when we're living outside and living in our own sinful kind of Centered selves. You see, what sin does is it mercilessly drives us into ourselves. And, and that's a very small package. And it reduces life to a very small thing. And so what Jesus is saying is don't let that happen. And by the way, this idea, this truth that Jesus is sharing here about we're clueless when we don't have the word, that we don't have the word. What it should do is it should drive us to compassion for our neighbors that live all around us and our family and friends. Because, you know, it's like, if you ever felt like, why don't they understand? They can't. They haven't been transformed to be able to hear it. And secondly, it should drive us to ask the question periodically, not am I saved, that's not the issue, but am I hearing from God? Am I, am I letting him transform me so I can hear his word? Okay. So that, that should drive us to that point. And when Jesus goes on to describe another soil, he's also sort of talking about this thing about how sin drives us into ourselves. 
And it's a more subtle thing, but it still keeps us from hearing from God, from listening to God. It still makes our uh, hearing problem, our listening problem, a thousand times worse when it comes to God. But it's more subtle. It's less obvious. Here's what he says. Uh, Verse uh, 16. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. See, this rocky soil is the self. It's the hard heart. It's the hardness of the person. And it's rocky, so the, the roots don't go down deep, okay? And, the worry, and, and uh, what they find out is that the worries become very shallow, or the, 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 I'm sorry, the, the word gets, the roots get very shallow, and they, they don't go down uh, very far. And you can see how that would help happen with ourselves. And, you know, in, when you live in a world where um, truth is relative, truth doesn't have a capital T in front of it anymore, as if there is this absolute truth. No, no, that's bad. You believe in absolute truth. You're a bigot or whatever. No, it's sort of like small t truth now. It's like my truth. Truth is only true when it becomes my truth. Even if it clashes with your truth, you small t. See, sin has driven us into ourselves to the point we can't even see past the walls of ourselves. The small t truth. And, you know, that's what people are teaching and preaching. They all keep talking about my truth and your truth. You know, speak your truth, even if it clashes with my truth, but my truth's going to win. You know, that kind of, I mean, I, I, celebrities are saying it, and we won't name anybody, but, you know, initials like Oprah. But anyway, the you know, this small truth kind of just sort of traps us in this world, and it becomes more of a, you know, the, the, the Word of God becomes more of a self-help thing that doesn't go very deep and doesn't last very long. And, and, and so what happens is, is we do, you know, we have normal protection mechanisms in us, you know, where we flee certain things and so forth. God put that in us. But what has happened is one of those has become twisted, so when we hear something that we think our truth is truth, like our truth is, is um, you know, our opinion is truth, uh, and our, our ex- uh, expectations are truth, and we hear somebody else saying something a little differently than us, that something that we, than what we believe, we immediately, you know, defense mechanism, throw out the good with the bad, or we throw out the, um, the, the uh, uncomfortable truth with the manipulative falsehood all at once, okay? Because, and that's what Jesus is saying, because it's gone too shallow. It's not any, any deeper. And the wonderful, wonderful thing that Jesus is trying to answer here is it doesn't need to be that way. Because God says the way to deepen your roots is, again, spend time in your, this Word. Spend time in this, this book. That's why we're doing Love This Book, which you don't have to do Love This Book just have to have a regular time when you spend time long enough to consider and let the roots go deep. By the way, I saw a statistic today. This will please the uh, millennials. I saw a statistic this week that millennials are far, far, far more interested in reading the Bible in text and page rather than on their devices. Isn't that interesting? So way to go, millennials. You're, you're leading us back to the contemplative. I'm not saying devices are bad. I use my Bible for love this book and so okay, I, on, on my app, okay? But, but the point is, is that the time when you don't have any of those other distractions, you don't have texts and tweets coming through, 
You know, I have to turn that part off. But you just sit with the word and let it go deeper into you. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the answer. That'll save you. That'll keep you from this problem of, of having shallow roots. But he says there's another thing that we need to have compassion about. We need to con- be concerned about in others, but also watch for in ourselves. One of the other things about the fallen world is, is that the distractions of this fallen world, you know, we may not say Satan's directly involved in it, but he doesn't have to be. He's indirectly involved because he's already helped the world fall into sin, and, and there are things that rise up that, that sort of clutter everything up. Look at verse 18. Still others, like the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So these are the the temptations of life. And and these are the, you know, um, the, the... the struggles of life that come in and, and get our attention. And we, you know, immediately, I can't deal with this right now, God. I got to get on to fixing this, right? And everybody's feeling it. So again, that should raise us up with some compassion because it's like those people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd that Jesus had such compassion for in Matthew chapter 9. So when we're, when we're trying to be a neighbor to somebody and they, they get distracted or they're telling us their woes or these worries and we're thinking, well, God can fix this, God can fix this. We, do, we don't go there yet. We listen to them. And, and care means we understand their story before we go there. But look at this good news, verse 20. But others, like the seeds sown in good soil, hear the word and accept it and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times. This is the gospel. That God says, you're not stuck with the bird, the Satan, okay? You're not stuck in yourself. You're not stuck with the, the, the difficulties of living in this world, in this life, this fallen world. Because I can pull you out of that and you can hear me. And when you do that, you're going to be able to hear other people in your relationships and your friendships and your neighborliness. But the goal, the first and foremost thing, is to hear the word of the Lord. And no matter how far away we've strayed, and no matter how far away we've gone, God in his good news mercy, in his graciousness, says, I can change that like that. I can turn that around like that. So the message really here is, yes, we're all broken. But God says, that's not a, that's not a problem for me. I mean, he, I can, for many of us who are Jesus followers, which are probably most of us in this room, those who are Christians, we've committed our whole lives to him. And do you remember how when that, when that first happened for you, how he turned things around with regard to how you received the Bible almost immediately? It's like he changed it. I remember when I was in, in high school was when it happened for me. I'd gone to church all my life um, uh, as a kid. Didn't like it, but I did. And I got involved in youth group in my church. I thought, you know what, I should read the Bible, because if I'm going to youth group, I should at least read it once. So I started reading in a gospel, and I'm going, what? what in the world is this? And then I ran across Leviticus, and I was like, okay, forget about this. All right? And then I, became, I, I came to a point where I did give up through the nurturing of my youth leaders. I gave my life completely to Christ and became a Christian. And immediately, all of a sudden, it, it became interesting to me, the word. That whatever that was that was broken inside me, that, you know, the Bible, that's just a Bible schmibel. All of a sudden it's like, no, 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 no. 
this is great. I can't get enough of this. I didn't understand it all, but I was drinking it in like a crazy man. And that's what happened and changed, which is what makes uh, what happened last week in Seattle sad, but a pointer to how good the good news is. I, I, I got a we, well, we have this app, our family has this app that our daughter who lives in Israel right now and she's getting a master's degree in England, uh, she's around the world, all over the world. She got us onto this app called Marco Polo, which, okay, this is tech now, I'm talking tech, but it's a video conversation thing where we, she can do a video and then immediately you can send a video back to her so you're, you're talking back and forth. She sent me, uh, she lives in Seattle when she's home and she sent me a, uh, a Marco Polo uh, about that situation in Seattle that happened where the guy stole the airplane, uh, Richard Russell stole an airplane off the tarmac uh, in Seattle. He was a grounds worker, and uh, he'd never flown a plane before, but he'd done it on the internet. He'd done it on a computer program. So he was able to get it off the ground, up in the sky, was doing some barrel rolls and crazy stuff. And the, he was such a nice guy that the, if you listen to the tape, uh, the, the ground controllers were trying to help him land the plane. He said, no, no, my, my plan's not to land the plane. And ultimately, sadly, he crashed the plane into an uninhabited island uh, in the Puget Sound and died. But, you know, with everybody talking about all the security problems, which that's a real issue, I think there's a bigger issue here. Because look at how he talked. Listen to how he talked. Listen to what he said to the air uh, traffic controllers. I've got a lot of people that care about me, and it's going to disappoint them to hear that I did this. I would like to apologize to each and every one of them. Just a broken guy, got a few screws loose, I guess. Never really knew it until now. Does that raise your compassion? I hope it's all. I mean, it's like, oh. He was right there. In fact, his family now is talking about how Jesus is holding them together and about their church. Apparently, all the people around him, at least in his family, and maybe he did, I don't know, had been a part of church all his life, but he didn't realize that that brokenness is actually an entrance into the good news that God can fix it and change it all, you know, turn it around. But that's, that's what makes it sad and, and, and hopeful all at the same time, that God can make those kinds of changes, and that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants, the kind of transformation he wants to do in every single life that comes in contact with his word. But, and listen to how Jesus sort of lands this thing. This is the start of another parable. But Jesus kind of linked these up, apparently, and he, and he says the next thing, which kind of takes our eyes off ourselves and turns it out to how we share and how we listen with other people. Verse 21. He said to them, do you bring a lamp and put it under a bowl or, or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? So he's talking about how to live Jesus' way, how to listen Jesus' way with our neighbors. Do whatever is, for, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, he says it again, let them hear. So for some final thoughts today, I think we need to talk about how do we do that? How do we let our light shine? Okay, the light that we've received from hearing God, how do we take those, the, the truth of, of, of learning to listen to God, and now granted that's different than listening to one another because we need Him to transform us to do that, but what if we have that kind of understanding and we have that point of reference that not everybody has, very few people have, to help us understand who we are and who He is and 
and what, what life is about and find that meaningful life that everybody longs for? If we've got that, is there a way? When Jesus teaches us about this, you know, putting our light on the lampstand, letting our light shine, is there a way to understand that in terms of our interpersonal relationships? And I think it is. There is. I need to say a couple things about that because I know what happens for you. I know that even though I've been doing what I'm doing for a long time, I know that you don't have a job where you get to sit in a building called a church and read a Bible all day long every day of the week. That's not what I do. But anyway, I know you are out there in the trenches. I know you are out there in, in those situations where, you know, you've got these interactions where you're trying to understand where are you coming from? Because after a while, after you've been a Christian, I think this is why people after they've been a Christian for two years don't have any non-believing friends, which is a tragedy. But I think one of the reasons is, is you're so transformed, you don't feel like you have things in common. So you, you have to, in compassion, reach out and listen to other people. But it's, it's hard to hear from them. I know that. And I know one of the reactions in us is like, Dwayne, you don't understand. The people I work with, the people I live with, the people I go to school with, whatever the people are that are around you. And they, you, you say, they think this stuff is dumb. They think it's boring. It makes no sense to them at all, this Christian stuff. And, and I get that. You know, that's what Jesus just taught. It makes no sense. But you're looking at it through different eyes now. They can't. And, you, and, and, and the reality is, it's not dull. It's the best news on the planet. Here, here's some information about how to have a meaningful life and to get out all of that crud that you're stuck in and you feel like you're not sure you believe in a Satan, but, you know, if there was one, he's sure punking you a lot. There's a way to get out of all that. Here's some news about how that happens. That's not like giving somebody cancer or something. That's good news. That's exciting news. And I can tell you this. I can't tell you how many times I've lost count in the last five to ten years. People have come up to me and say, hey, where's that verse? Where's that verse? I want to get that. I said, it's right here. What, what, What does that mean to you? And they go, I just didn't know that was in the Bible. You know? Or people say, they just don't know what's in there. And, you know, you'll, you'll say something about, you know, God loves them and wants them to be in eternity with them? He said, that's in the Bible? Yeah. I had somebody between services tell me they talked to somebody recently who didn't know that Easter meant that Jesus rose from the dead. We are in New Testament times, folks. This book, this word is thrilling, really. When people finally find out what's in it, that's in there? Yeah. That's why I read this quote from Dorothy Sayers, a 20th century playwright and a Christian apologist. Um, even though this quote was written about 70 years ago, man, it has so much application today. Listen to this. She says, official Christianity of late has been having what is known as bad press. We are constantly assured that the churches are empty because preachers insist too much upon doctrine. Dull dogma. Dogma just means teaching, as people call it. The fact is the precise opposite. It is the neglect of dogma that makes for dullness. The Christian faith is the most exciting drama that ever staggered the imagination of man. And the dogma is the drama. We may call that doctrine, the gospel, we may call it exhilarating, or we may call it devastating, we may call it revelation, or we may call it rubbish. But if we call it dull, then words have no meaning at all. That's what we have. That's what this word is that the 
Father Farmer is planting all over the world in our lives and in other people's lives that we think we'll never get it when we're not looking. That's what he's planting. So how do we do that in a practical way? What do we, how do we let our light shine? Because again, I know one of the things is, is you know, it's just so old-fashioned. It's just, you know, people, uh, you know, might, might think I'm weird or something. Well, here, let, let me just let you off the hook right now. We're not even talking about sharing your story right now. We're talking about listening to theirs. That's all. That's it. And that that, even in that, can begin to have a transformative effect. It, it, um, uh, those of us, again, who are Christians in this room, I'll bet you there was somebody that listened to you and your story and your concerns and your struggles and earned the right to be heard before they even shared the gospel with you when you came. Isn't that, isn't that true? It was for me. Several, a couple of, about four or five people did that. Because here's the thing. Every single need, every single hurt, every single problem, every single situation, every single circumstance has a theological connection in this world. And in other words, God's connected to it. There's a spiritual reality to it. God is, there's something out there that God has to say to that situation. So I don't think it needs to be rocket science. I think it can be simple and straightforward. Let me just give you five straight, five simple things to start with, final thoughts about how to listen with care. Here we are. First thing is, what we learned from Jesus, is listen to God first. And then what happens when you listen to God and His Word, then you'll have something worth saying, <laughs> rather than something you saw on YouTube or something, or Instagram. You, you, you can't listen to God in your natural state. None of us can. We've, we're done with that. Now we can, oh, good, I'm not the only one. Nope, we're not. We're all in that boat. And neither can your neighbor, so we can cut them some slack when they don't get it right away or they share with us stuff. We go like, ah, that's not my value system. As you are faithful, Jesus always is. We can have the confidence that he, by the power of his spirit, is working behind the scenes on these things. And the reason that I give it out to you so simple and straightforward this way is the L of bless is listen with care. And I wonder if that's not, ever, that's not meant to be difficult. I know it is in our, our uh, fallen state, in our fallen world, and so we have to relearn what it means to listen to one another. But I wonder uh, if it was meant, and it's still meant to be, simple and straightforward. Because as I, as I did research for this message, I was on the Internet, and I was looking up listening, I discovered, again, that there's this thing called active listening. Have you heard about active listening? If you've read business literature or psychological literature or you've been to the counselor, they've probably done that on you, or you've been to even some self or read some self-help stuff in your family and all that kind of stuff, active listening is a big deal. In fact, it's a big industry. There's books and books and books and seminars on how to listen to one another. But I wonder if it's supposed to just be simpler than that. So, I'm going to do something different. As we, I'm going to close this message not by praying, but by showing you a video, and then I'm going to sit down. I'll come back and pray after the final song. But this is a simple word from a, a very simple communicator who was a Presbyterian minister himself, the one who coined the phrase of our series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? This is some simple, simple wisdom on listening from Mr. Rogers.
And if you look and listen carefully through this world, you'll find lots of things. If you will look carefully, listen carefully, you will find a lot of things. Carefully look and listen. <laughs> Good to look carefully, listen carefully. That's the way you learn a lot of things. Carefully look, look, and listen to that. Yeah. Some things you see are confusing. Some things you hear are strange. But if you ask someone to explain one or two, You'll begin to notice a change in you if you will look carefully, listen carefully. That's a way to keep on growing. Carefully look, 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 and listen.